and told somebody, I joked with them and said, what are you going to preach on today? And they told me the title of my sermon, and it freaked me out for a second, and then I realized it was in the bulletin. <laughs> I was like, the Lord's really working there. He's telling us both the same thing. I like that. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3. Starting at verse 13, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame." This is it. This is question 10. We are at, we started this, I looked, you know, we started this in the beginning of March. We have been on this series. We have had three different people aside from me preaching on this series, and here we are at the very end of it. For the last two months, we focused on what it means to be in the dock as a church in a nation that has grown skeptical, and by in the dock, we're on the witness stand. The nation is, in our nation, we have people that have lost faith, in God or lost faith in the church or are just rebellious and broken. We cannot fix the fact that the world is rebellious. You know, rebellion has to burn itself out, right? And there are some people out there who are just, if God said go left, they'd go right because they knew that's where the Lord wanted them to go. Amen? But there's a whole lot more people who have lost faith. And some that have lost faith in God have lost faith in God because they lost faith in the church. And that's why we've got to stand to give an account and explain to them now why it is that we come together as a body of believers in a house on Sunday morning, even when the thermostat's turned up too high for the weather, right? Amen? Because we never know what it's going to be from one day to the other in Belvedere. It'll be 32 tonight, I'm sure, right? But they've grown skeptical, and they've grown skeptical about God, and they've grown skeptical about the church, and we are seeing a generation that is questioning everything. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like I tell people all the time, we're the adults now, we decide what church is. You know, there are people that grew up and they're like, oh, I don't like church because this, because that, the other. You know, you know what I say? Come be a part of our church and help us not be that. Help us be what we're supposed to be. Help us create something that when God looks down on it, he says, that's good. I like what they're doing there. We talked last week about how the glory of God is his approval. I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. Um, I actually do want to do a review of the other questions, just so we can come up to speed. So the first question we had was, are Christians perfect? It says, our faith isn't about following rules. A lot of times when we say, are Christians perfect, we say, do you follow all the rules? And we have a lot of rules that are in Scripture, and then we have a whole bunch of rules that aren't even in Scripture, but we still expect people to follow, right? Kristen laid a rule on me that I have to wear a tie, because you guys won't believe me if I'm not wearing a tie. I understand that. There you go. It says, we are defined by who we love, not what we don't do. Amen? We will, they will know we are Christians by our following the rules, right? They will know our Christian by the fact that we come down on people who aren't doing what they're supposed to. No, they will know we are Christians by our love. We are defined by how we love, how we love the unlovable, how we love the unlovely, how we even love people that do not deserve or have actively spurned our love. We still love them, right? 
Because we are called to be complete and whole. Perfect in the Bible is teleos, and it means to be complete, like, like baby Evangeline is perfect, right? Because she's got all her fingers and toes. I mean, yeah, she cries all night, right? And you're not sleeping, but as a baby, she's perfect, right? And that's what we need to be before God, is having all the parts of a Christian body that we should have, that we should have hands and feet and eyes and ears, and all the things should be present in the church, all the different sorts of ministries and things. So number two was... Why church? That was on our membership Sunday. I haven't put their names up there. Josh, Angie, Jake, Taylor, Robin, Claire, and Jill. And do you know how I had all those names handy? Because Jesse, I still haven't had you sign all their membership certificates. They're still in my office. Um, so I, was like, I was like, where are those names? Oh, they're right there in my folder thing still. My in-basket is just a wasteland of things that never get done. Um, Church is about unity, Psalms 133. If you've never written this in Psalms 133, go to that place in your Bible and write that down. Unity brings anointing, anointing brings blessing, and blessing brings life, right? And that's why this is a living church. And we talk about in this church, things just live. We're a growing organism, right? Unity brings anointing, anointing brings blessing, and blessing brings life. Psalms 133, behold how good and blessed it is for brothers to dwell in unity. Amen. Next, I know I said write that down, then I went through it real quick. It's a little trick I like to play. What if I can do it on my own? Jake preached that day. He said, even superheroes need a team and managed to bring up a superhero I had never heard of. So for one moment, someone had out-nerded me. I have always said, my nerd runs deep. You have to go really obscure. I actually mentioned a really obscure band to Stu yesterday, a Christian band from the 90s that probably only him and I know about. And he smiled, and I was like, oh, you don't know them, right? But Jake pulled out a hero I'd never even heard of, said that even superheroes need a team and we all need each other. We are not built to function as individuals. We are built to function collectively as a body of Christ. Amen? Number four is what about the hypocrites? Yeah, what about the hypocrites, right? The one moral absolute the world recognizes is hypocrisy. We, we live in a world that's called postmodern, and they don't believe anybody has the truth, and there are many truths, there are many ways at looking at truth, and there's no absolute truth, but one absolute truth that they still hold to is you can't be a hypocrite about something, right? You can't say one thing and do another. That is always wrong to everybody. I don't care if you're a Wiccan, a pagan, a heathen, a Christian, what? Everybody says you can't say you're one thing and be another, right? That's our one unbreakable law. The whole world is full of people posing as actors. The word hypocrite actually comes from people who would put on a mask. And that's the funny thing about it, because even though we say that is our one unbreakable law, you will go nowhere today where you will not run into somebody who is pretending to be happier than they are, sadder than they are, sicker than they are, something. They will have something in their life that they're exaggerating for the sake of convincing you that they are what they are not. Did you know that? Every grocery store, every bank, every job, even in your own home, don't look in the mirror. There might be somebody there who's pretending to be something they're not. Amen? And it says, we are all called to be an authentic church. And we talked about the barnwood that week, right? That's how we put that back there. Because the thing about that is that comes off old, some old farmer's property, and he was a gnarly old guy. Wasn't he, wasn't he Mary? Just a gnarly old guy. You know what, though? God... God stores up the barnwood of the wicked for the righteous. Amen? 
Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says the Lord stores up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous, for those of you who didn't get the reference. But the thing we like about it is that it's rugged and it's authentic and it has stood for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years out in the storms of Belvedere. And let me tell you, sometimes it feels like God is trying to wipe this place off the face of the earth. The wind comes in at all the miles an hour, right? I mean, and that barn would just stood out there and took the weathering and took the beating and still stood there. And it's authentic. It is what it looks like. We didn't go, you know, we didn't go to some fancy store and buy something that looks like barnwood. I'd like something that kind of looks like that. No, we went and got it off somebody's property and, and, and dealt with all the people we had to deal with. Amen. So next, so what about people trapped in addiction? That was the Reformers Unanimous Sunday. How many of you guys like them? Man, that was just amazing every time. You know, and you always, you always get about two-thirds of the way through it, and then that one comes up with that story about how their life was changed, and they break, and you're the pastor, and you're like, I'm not crying. It's just dusty in here. Turn the fans down, right? Oh, my gosh, I cried. It was so good. Um, and when I was sitting at lunch with them, Donnie and I were talking about how different programs are effective in, pe- in getting people off drugs, getting them through life-changing addictions, and that was what we said the, we can do something in the church that the government can't do, that we can love. The government is not good at loving you, especially not in Illinois. Amen. Um, the government is not good at showing you love, is it? It's like the wire monkey. I told, a, I told an illustration. They, they had two monkeys they did an experiment on. They had a wire monkey and a fuzzy monkey. But the wire monkey had a bottle sticking out of it. So the baby monkey had to choose if it wanted to go to the wire monkey where it would be fed or the fuzzy monkey where it would be comforted. And it always stayed on the fuzzy monkey and would just creep over to the bottle to feed and then go right back to the fuzzy monkey. It always wanted to be that. We as a church are the fuzzy monkey. You're all a bunch of fuzzy monkeys. Amen? Right? Because we know how to love on people. We know how to be good to one another. It's not just about getting by. It's about getting by and feeling loved and knowing there's purpose and that you're in a place where people accept you. Amen? Speaking of which, number six was, will I be accepted at your church? It's almost like I knew that one was coming. It says, there are those in our community that feel rejected by the church. Right? That, that there's almost like a call it a third rail, I don't know what you would call it, but there's a group in our nation that feels like church has turned them away, right? That they can't come to church because they don't feel like they would belong at church, they don't feel like people would accept them there. Christ was rejected by his church. In fact, if you read the Talmud, if you read some of the old commentaries, and this is very extra biblical and probably apocryphal, but I like the story, and one of the stories that they told was that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, they excommunicated him from the church, and not only did they excommunicate him, but they had a parade of trumpets in front to announce the excommunication of Jesus of Nazareth. The Jewish church rejected Christ and ultimately crucified him. And we are called to redeem those who are meant to be part of the body. And redeem means you are willing to pay the price to bring someone in to where God wants them to be. And that price can be different things. That price might just be, hey, open your mouth and invite them. That price means you might have to be nice to somebody who's a jerk. Amen? That might mean you have to witness to somebody that, man, God needs to bring judgment on them. I don't want you in my church. (laughs) You know, you might get saved, right? It means you might have to do that. That means you might have to put aside who you like and who you don't like and find those that need Christ and bring them there. Redeeming means we're going to pay the price. And the next, so where was God when? We told the story of Joseph. 
and how everything in his life just went bad. He had favor on his life the whole way through, but just kept ending up in worse and worse places. So much favor on his life that he ended up in prison. And then I have my pithy little quote, your prison wasn't made to hold you, it was made to grow you. And that's what Joseph did. Every bad thing that came at him, he turned it around for the glory of God until eventually he was risen back up to a station that he was called to be in. You decide whether a trial is sent to refine you or destroy you. Did you know that? Trials are going to come, right? Bad things are going to happen to every person in this room at some point, whether it's you stub your toe on the couch or you get a phone call in the middle of the night that just breaks your world in half. Something will happen to all of us that will at times test us and we will decide whether that is the thing that kills us or that is just another part in the story of God's redemption that he is bringing us out, bringing us up, and changing us into something new. We decide that. We decide if I'm going to believe God and His Word that says all things work together for good. Not all good things work together for good, but all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Next was why do bad things happen? This was Pastor Gary Blanchard, who, by the way, used the exact same story of Joseph the next week. So you got the story of Joseph two weeks in a row. I like to think mine is better, Um, but I like me. And he gave us the rubber bands, which is probably the best illustration ever, that everybody was playing with the rubber bands. And I'm looking, no, she's not here today, the person who first shot somebody in the rear end. It was not one of the children that shot somebody. It was one of our older adults that started a war. This is why we can't have nice things. Amen? (laughs) Number nine was, does it matter? The world teaches us that it's all meaningless, that it's all chemical reactions and explosions and a bunch of randomness until, bam, we pop out of the water. I did find something kind of funny when someone was explaining something the other day, that when you look at, for instance, killer whales, you have an evolution path that said the animal wanted to evolve to live out of water, become a mammal, then need to go back into water and become a mammal. Um, You have to assign a lot of intelligence to randomness to get through some of that. So... Everyone who, listen, who is of the truth listens to my voice, Matthew 18, 37. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And we talked about how the glory of God, you know, and I, I had this written in my notes, and I don't know if this makes sense to a lot of people, but, but I want to throw this out there, that glory is where weight meets light, light like shining light and weight, like something that weighs something. For a long time, we didn't think light had any mass, that it was just, you know, light, but it actually has photons. There are actually things that make it too, but there's this thing about glory that has both weight and light and how it's God's approval of us. It's how he shines on us. It's how he says, this is mine, right? Whether it was Moses who saw his glory pass and then radiates with it, or when we read in the book of Revelation that in the new heaven and the new earth that there's no sun or moon because the glory of God illuminates everything where we will be like that, where light will shine from us. There will be no darkness in the kingdom of God. Amen. So today we're on question number 10. If you've read your bulletin, you know what it is. And the question is, is it real? I just go back to when I saw a bumper sticker that said, remember what your parents told you about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. Now, what did they teach you about Jesus? I, I saw that the first time back in the 90s. It was an ancient time. We had cassette tapes um, in our cars, right? 
And I saw that, and that really bothered me. And it, it made me think, hey, when I have kids, and, and we, never did, we never did the Santa Claus thing, Easter Bunny thing with the kids, because I never wanted them to have to, have to say, well, did mom and dad lie to me about that? And I don't care if you do Santa Claus with your kids. It does not bother me. And I know as a church movement, we went through some pretty anti-Santa, anti-Easter Bunny days. I think my sister still does not allow you to give her kids a gift with Santa Claus wrapped around on the paper, which is funny because her kids are 23 and 20. But still, <laughs> lest you deceive them. Um, but I never wanted to do that with my kids. I never wanted them to have to say, was my dad telling me the truth about this? that I always tried to be honest with them. Kristen would say, you can't talk to them like that. They're not adults. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to them. I'm committed to talking to them like they're an adult, and they'll figure out how to understand it as life goes on. Right? I didn't want to ever have them have to question what I was saying, if, if it was true or not. Now, I can be mistaken. Anybody can be mistaken, but I'm mistaken from a good heart when I am. Right? I'm never trying to deceive. That was important to me with the kids. Because nowadays we live with questions like, is the Bible reliable? How can I believe a book right? It was written by many men. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how much I hate the History Channel. I loved it at first, although at first it was pretty much World War II, you know, night and day. And now the History Channel's become like, you know, pawn shop things and, and all kinds of things that are non-history related. But the worst part of it is for me, as a history nerd, is that they misrepresent history on there now. And so there are people who are watching History Channel shows on the life of Christ, or this week when I was doing this, I was reading a Newsweek article, and it was saying, you know, this and that about the Bible, and, you know, well, no one's ever read the Bible because we don't have the original copies of the Bible. We only have copies of copies of copies, which isn't true. We have the first copies of the original manuscripts. We have more than 27,000 manuscripts of the Bible. There are, more, there are more manuscripts of the Bible than there are any other ancient document by a huge margin. The next closest one is Homer's Odyssey, and we have about 500 partial, comp partial um, completions about that. But the Bible, we have just enormous amounts of evidence for. But people will say, oh, well, it's corrupt, or it's this, or it was written by man, right? It might have mistakes, and it might have contradictions. They never know what the mistakes or the contradictions are. They're just absolutely positive that there are some there, right? So I'm always like, well, let's, you know, talk about them. Show me which ones you're talking about, and let's see if it's an interpretation thing. Let's see if it's just this person interpreted something from Greek to English this way, right? But it's really not used in that context. It's really just more used as a, I don't want to believe in it, so this is what I'm using not to believe in it, right? It's never a, it's never a well, you know, I've really thoroughly studied this and decided that I just can't accept it. It's more of a, I don't want to accept it, and so I'm going to use this as my reason not to. They talk about, was Jesus real? I, I love this. People talk about, was Jesus a real person? There's more historical evidence for Jesus than there is Julius Caesar. You know that, right? No one ever says, did Julius Caesar really exist? Right? Did the Goths really exist? The Gauls, right? They never say to any of these individuals, but Jesus, even though he has all kinds of documentation, not just in the Bible about him, but with Josephus, with Tacitus, with other Roman historians that were pointing at him at the time he was alive, and yet people will say, well, was Jesus a real person or just kind of a, uh, you know? There are whole levels of apologetics, which apologetics is when people argue about <laughs> these sorts of things, and I'm glad that they do. But everyone has their reasons why they don't believe. And my question to you is, what are the reasons that you do? Because Let's take apologetics out of it. Sometimes, 
as preachers, we want to say to you, okay, here's all the facts, and I want you to remember all these facts about the Bible, about literary criticism, about archaeology, about things like that. And no one will, <laughs> right? There's a few of us, we're, we're huge nerds, and we love that stuff, and if somebody wants to talk about it with us, we'll sit down and talk about the historical record. And I had this really great moment a few weeks ago when I found an article about how when they'd gone into the Temple Mount to um, change, make some changes to the Dome of the Rock, they took some of the residue and dumped it in the Kidron Valley without telling them. They sort of, all kinds of great stuff, right? None of that matters to you. Do you know what matters to you? If I were, now imagine this. Imagine if I were to take you out of Belvedere, Illinois, I were to take you to a different part of the world where they still spoke your language and you could still communicate, but there was no Bible, right? There was no church. There were no other Christians, and you had to tell somebody about who God was and why you believed Jesus was who he said he was. What would you do then? If you couldn't go, hey, but the Bible, right? And, and listen, I believe in the Bible more than any of you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Mona, right? But I have to be able to tell people even beyond what is written, what he's done in my life. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. We keep talking in Ephesians about what is the reason for your hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, sorry. What is the reason for your hope? Is your hope faith or is it wishful thinking? You know what I love about the Bible is that in all the books of all the religions of the world, we're the only one that ever said God is love. And that's one of those weird things because it's not in Islam, it's not in Buddhism, it's not in Shintoism, it's not in Taoism, it's not in any of the other religions. We're the only ones that say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God, and loveth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Because sometimes we see tsunamis and earthquakes and violence and wars and things like that, and it's hard to think, man, why is God love if that's what goes on in the world? And yet the Bible says there's a plan to it. Remember how I said we decide? Once you hear that word, let me tell you something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we forget this. I forget this sometimes because it's so simple. And I have all these reasons, and I have all this studying, and I have all this knowledge and all these things I want to bring to bear in an argument sometime to explain to somebody why it is that I believe the Bible and I believe in Jesus. And, I and if there were no archaeological record, and if I lost my Bible and couldn't recover it, and if there were no church for me to go to, I want you to know that I would still know that there is a God who loves me. That I would still know there was a Christ who died for me that I would still know there's a Holy Spirit that dwells in me. Can you say the same? Can you say that beyond a shadow of doubt, that if all that were taken away from you, and it was just you, and you had to explain to somebody heart to heart, because the problem is, is sometimes we try to convince the world with our facts and our figures and our arguments, and they don't care. In the military, we always had people that wanted to debate you. If they found out you were a Christian, man, they'd zero in on you. And I had this friend, Petty Officer Norton, Goofy guy, right? Just happy as the day is long and in love with Jesus. And whereas people would come to me and they'd say, well, what about when the Bible says so-and-so? And I'd say, well, let me explain that to you. And I'd walk them through it, right? And they'd say the same thing to him. And he'd be like, I don't know. I just love Jesus. And he was so much more effective than me. Drove me nuts, right? I've got all these reasons. I've got all these things. And yet all he had to do was say, you know what? I'm just in love with Jesus, man. He changed my life. He saved my marriage. He got me out of where I'm at. Every day I wake up, the Holy Spirit is there. It's pulling me. It's calling me. There's a relationship that I walk in. There is something inside of me that has changed. I was one thing and I'm another thing. And that's how I know. 
And if we're trying to convince them with all these other things, none of them will be as effective as saying, I have a relationship with the one who saved me. That there is a God who didn't just set the planets into orbit, but he is a personal God who speaks to the heart of men. Our irrefutable proof of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Sometimes we need to stop apologizing for the Word of God and start declaring it. You know, when I talk about people who say they feel rejected by the church or hurt by the church, there's a whole lot of people that will tell you they've tried church and they didn't like it. It's not for them. It's not a place they were going. But let me tell you something. Trying church is not the same as having the life power, life-changing power of God move through you. Sitting in a service because your parents dragged you once and you not liking what the preacher said is not like waking up in the morning and knowing that the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life. Let me tell you something. Listening to a preacher is not the same as knowing that when someone is suffering or someone is sick that God has put the power of him in your hands so that you can lay them on them and they can recover it's not the same and we got to stop letting them off the hook we got to stop letting people off the hook who say things like oh well God doesn't hear my prayers did you pray or did you just wish did you pray or you just want right Stop letting them have their excuses. Don't let them say, I tried church. Prove God. Don't try church. Don't even go to church until you find God. Right? You don't have to come in this sanctuary. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to do any of those things for your initial encounter with God to occur, do you? There's no requirements, there's no prerequisites, there's no line out front, there's no take a number, there's no we'll call you back. If you want to know who God is, all you have to do is humble your heart, all you have to do is to get to that place where you say, Lord, I want to know who you are, Father, reveal yourself to me. Do you understand how powerful that is? Do you understand how life-changing that is? Do you know that there are people who cannot bring themselves to say that? They can't get there. And they just say, I tried God. I tried church. It wasn't for me. It's not my thing. No, it's not, because you don't know. You don't even know. Verse 9. It says, But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love him. Amen. Right? Wait a second. For you, Amen. Those things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. That whole eye is not seen nor ear heard, right? We, we quote that one. What does the next verse say? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And the thing is, is we got a whole lot of Christians who stop at that eye is not seen and ear is not heard. I have no idea what God's going to do, but I bet it's going to be great. Right? I bet it's going to be a party. You know God wants you to know what he's going to do? Do you know he calls his shot? Do you know that my problem when an, when an earthquake or something happens and someone pops up, oh, that was the wrath of God. If it was the wrath of God, you would have called it before it happened. 
Amen? If ever something happens and somebody says, up, oh, that was God doing that, if that was God doing that, he'd have told you before it happened, not after. Anybody can pop up after and say, oh, look, right? If it's God, in Amos it says, he does nothing except he reveals it to his prophets. So it says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And verse 14 is critical because it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There should be a difference in the level of understanding in the things of God between someone who has the Holy Spirit in them and someone who doesn't. I think we think it's mean sometimes to say that because I've accepted Christ, because I've come to that place in my life where I'm at peace with God, where I know his will for my life, I know his call. I'm not better than anybody, but I'm further ahead. It doesn't mean I'm better than anyone, but it does mean I'm a little further along on the journey. It doesn't mean I'm a better person than you. It just means that I know now. It's been revealed. It's not just the eye has not seen or ear has not heard. It's that he opens my heart and I see things that I didn't see before and I know things that I didn't know before. And people that before I just thought were mean and unforgivable, now all of a sudden he opens my eyes and I see the struggles they're going through and I see the way they're struggling through things and all of a sudden it's not about whether or not I can forgive them, it's about whether or not I can heal them. Right? It's this thing where all of a sudden the world changes how it looks. That boss that's always on your case at work, who's always trying to dig at you, all of a sudden you see them as a soul who's lost and away from the Lord, and you know what they need, and now it's just a matter of how do I get that to them? How do I get them that glass of water in Jesus' name? How do I do that? This is why we preach the baptism the Holy Spirit. Head over to James 4.1 because we'll get there. Don't read ahead. Watching you. I saw that. You were reading ahead. We fell into the same trap with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we fell into with salvation. We made it an event. We made it a one-time thing. We made it a checkbox on a list where we could say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, check. Okay, good. You're good, right? Go to youth camp, check it off, right? I, we were talking about I was, same experience, right? Mine wasn't at youth camp. Mine was at camp meeting, but it was the same thing because in Kentucky, we only have one building for all that. Um, Kentucky district is tiny compared to the Illinois district. Um, I did not realize that until I got here. But we made the baptism of the Holy Spirit an event. 
We made it a thing. We made it one of those things where, hey, if you come down to the altar for this altar call and you pray long enough, God is going to do this thing and it's going to happen and there you go, signed off, and then you just walk out. But the thing about it is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not just an event, but it was a transforming moment in your life where everything before that is different than everything after that because the Bible says you will be imbued imbued with power from on high. It doesn't say you're going to go back and have lunch that afternoon and think about it. It doesn't say that eventually you're going to just, you know, remember the day when I did that. It says that you're going to be endued with power from on high. Are you any more working in miracles, working in faith, gift of wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, any of those gifts of the Holy Spirit we talk about in the Bible? Are you any more of those now than you were before? And speaking in tongues is awesome. It's great. I'm like Paul. I say I speak in tongues more than everybody. I had somebody tell me once when I was 27 that you don't speak in tongues enough, and they just release something in me. And I just, you know, there's not, a, there's not a day that goes by that the Lord doesn't give me something to pray in the Spirit about, right? But if that's all I can do. If that's the extent of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, then why did I search for it for so long? Why did it take me so long to get to that place? Why was I so hungry for it that I would get up early and I would go and be alone with the Bible and just try to find out what it is that God wants to do in this baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is there about this thing that makes it different? Do you understand that we as Pentecostals were cast out of churches because we wanted more than what they could offer? That we said there's got to be more than just this salvation experience. There's got to be another level and something else in there and we said there's a holy spirit who can get a hold of you and he can change you and all of a sudden you're going to see the healed you're going to see the sick healed and the lame walk and the blind see and you're going to be able to know things beyond what you could know and your life is going to change somehow as the kids of the kids who first experienced it we got to that place where it's just a thing have you done it have you gotten through it? Has it happened to you? And yet do we see the change on the other side of that? It says this person is endued with power from on high. <laughs> do you know when you pray that God listens? Do you have the faith that if a family member calls you today, before you ever get home and they say it's cancer. It's inoperable. It's over. They can't do anything about it. Do you have the faith that says, if I ask the Lord for this, He's going to change it? Before I hang up this phone, that cancer is going to be out of your body. Do you have that? I'm not condemning you if you don't. That's tough. I'm not saying I do. I'm not saying I don't struggle, but you know what? I'm going to keep believing until it happens. I'm going to keep believing until God, God does something miraculous. Let me tell you, God's going to do something miraculous, Gloria. You know that? You know that? This is a church of life, not a church of death. That's not who we are. Amen? Amen. But a lot of people give up hope on praying because they pray for something. I am never going to preach a short sermon, am I? Bless the Lord. <laughs> Promised it would be shorter today. I wrote less things. Um... Let me get through this, though. What causes quarrels, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does it mean to spend it on our passions? I mean, sometimes we want the gift of the Holy Spirit because it's neat, because other people have it. For all these reasons that are not because I want to know more of God, because I want to be sanctified by His truth, because I want His Holy Spirit to dwell in me day after day, because there's something in my life that says I've got to change, I've got to turn, something's got to happen inside of me, something's got to break. I've been living this way for so long, I've broken every relationship I've touched. Everybody that I know can't stand me anymore. The people that I'm around, they're turned away from me because there's something inside of me that's driving them away, and something inside of me has got to break so that instead of someone who who hurts them, someone who heals. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second. Just search your hearts for a minute. If it were you all alone, you were cast off into some far country where there was no Bible and there was no church. Are you supernatural? Josh, if you'd come play your guitar. Are you supernatural? By that I mean this. It says in Corinthians that natural people don't discern and understand the things of the Spirit. Do you discern and understand the things of the Spirit? I'm not condemning you if you don't. I'm encouraging you that you can. I'm not mad at you because you're not there yet. I'm saying you can be there. You can be further along. You can be moving down. There are things that you're going on in your life and you bump into the same wall over and over again because you just can't spiritually discern what it is that's going to get you through to that place you need to be. Are you supernatural? Because that's what God is calling you to be. We are called supernaturally to serve supernaturally a God that nature itself could not contain. Did you hear what I said? I said we are called supernaturally to serve supernaturally a God who nature itself could not contain. Even if it wanted to, it couldn't hold all of it in because there is so much of Him and so little of everything else. All is Him and everything is for His glory. Yet we live in a world that says, is He even real? I'll tell you how I know He's real. Because in the dark times, he was there. In the good times, he was there. When family members were suffering and we prayed over them, God changed things. I didn't have to convince them with how smart I was. I didn't have to come up with some argument that could shut them down. I could lay my hands on them and see the glory of God work in their life. Are you supernatural? Is there something about you that can change the world? Isn't that what we wanted? We were kids. We were growing up. Didn't we all want to change the world? And the world looked so big and menacing that we gave up. But let me tell you something. Supernatural people can change the world. I believe we have some here. 
I believe we have some that are called to be. That as you broke that bread and you took that cup today, he said, take and eat because the journey ahead is too great for you. Do you know why it's too great for you? Because the person who makes it there is going to be the bigger than the person who's standing here now. The person who crosses that finish line is going to be a greater person than the one sitting in the pew now. The person who makes it to where they're supposed to be is going to be a different, transformed, supernatural person, different than the one that's sitting in the pew now. Eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, but it has been revealed. There's no altar call for being supernatural. There's no nothing I can lay my hands on you and give you. I can't make you hungry. I can't make you want to eat at the table. All I can do is tell you that it is good. Oh, it is good. Some of us were too easily satisfied. We think hamburger is the best there is because we've never had a steak. Amen. We think hash browns is the best there is because we've never had a load of baked potatoes, sour cream, cheddar, cheese, bacon bits. Man, there's something better than hash browns. I like hash browns, you know. God has something better for you. You're going to have to be supernatural to get there. You're going to have to cast aside these things where one time you prayed and you just didn't feel like God answered that prayer, so now you're not asking anymore. I tell you, if you know Him and you ask according to His will, His Word says that it will come to pass. If you know God and you pray according to His will, you become His Word. And God will always protect His Word. God will always see His Word come to pass. If God has made you the word in someone's life, he will protect that word and he will protect that seed and you will be something sacred, untouchable by the world. Did you know that? You will be supernatural. Just begin to pray where you are, Lord. Lord, if there's more, God, I'm hungry. I've eaten my fill of so many things and it's all junk food and it tastes like ash in my mouth. God, I'm hungry. I'm so hungry for you.